up there, movie geeks. It's good to be with you. A lot has happened in these past two weeks in the movie world. A lot of news, can, some premieres. Uh, so we got lots to talk about. But I, I want to start out briefly um, by uh, opening uh, this conversation with uh, the revival of Twin Peaks. Now, uh, we are recording this three hours before the premiere. Uh, so most people that will have heard this uh, will have already seen the premiere. So it might be fun for them to compare our expectations with what we actually get tonight and then uh, hear finally what we think of it uh, next week. So it's been ultra-secretive. Um, they had a premiere in L.A. on Friday, the first two episodes, and the press, um, whatever press were there, and the talent has been very respectful. They haven't given away anything. There's, there, there was a Yahoo article that very vaguely mentioned a couple of aspects of the, of the two hours uh, that got me even more excited, but they weren't spoilers. They were like, they said uh, the, uh, the, the, the best new face of the season so far isn't a face at all. And then they said it contains one of the scariest moments that they've ever seen on television. Uh, Those were the two things I was like, oh, God, I can't wait. But they also said that, look, this is certain to rattle and confuse and infuriate a lot of people. So what are your expectations of the return of Twin Peaks? I have none. Yeah, me neither. I mean, can can I be blatantly honest here? This is a show that started off on all cylinders. That first, that mid-season replacement, um, that first half was awesome. When it came back as a full season, it just went off the rails halfway through. So I have anything to me. Um, I mean, this is a thing that I have zero expectation for just because I don't know what's going on through Lynch's mind anymore. This century, he's just been a – I mean, I don't get what he's trying to do at all. So anything is possible. And let me go back to spoilers. How can you spoil something that most people have no idea what's really going on? I mean, let me be honest. One of my frustrations with this is I finally watched again Firewalk with me a couple weeks ago. And, guys, I got to say, if that's the thing that he said we should all watch, is he out of his mind? That movie is just awful. I'm sorry. That's an awful movie. It doesn't hold up at all in 2017. So I hope that he was just, like, doing that as a way, like a wild goose chase and sending us all out, and it means nothing, because that movie really doesn't hold up at all. Um, the I, only I, I thing have... I've ever really loved about that, the, the two things that I've always really loved about that movie specifically are Cheryl Lee's performance and the sound. Uh, uh, the sound uh, is a key uh, thing. Uh, other than other than those those two elements, I I respect it, but I don't uh, I don't love it. Like oh, I I, th- I think I, Jamie lo- uh, Jamie you love that movie. You love that movie, but it's, it's unwatchable today. It's it's like it's like going it's back to hanging out with your uncle. It's unwatchable for you. I, I, yeah. I, I watched it a couple of weeks ago too. I, I know. I, I, love know, it. I, I know. I know. It's fine, but it's like going out <laughs> hanging out with your uncle who you thought was really cool, but then you find out he's like you know mentally retarded. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. I you, mean, know, I, I, you know, I, I think tonally, uh, he was able to he was able to create an environment in the film that he wasn't on the series, especially um, 
I mean, he, he relinquished kind of control on the series for a while because yeah. he was busy making Wilder, Wilder Hart. And that's when the show really went uh, off the cliff. And he even admitted that. He said, you know, season two of Twin Peaks sucked. Uh, until yeah. I came back for the last episode of it yeah. to try to, you know, uh, and he threw out the script that they had for the last episode and, and did it more in his style. But, uh, you know, if it's more in the tone of the movie, then I'm excited about that because I, I adore the movie. I think the movie has a lot of empathy for the main character of Laura Palmer. I think it's a really harrowing uh, movie about uh, – it's a horror movie about rape and incest, mm-hmm. uh, which mm-hmm. is tough stuff. But I, if, if he's allowed free reign over an 18-hour movie on Showtime, I think he can reach great heights with that. I mm. think if that's the case, I mean, definitely. I mean, this is a man who, I mean, unless he has complete creative control, he's not going to do something. Um, now, let's right. hope it's more, what you said something very interesting. He went to go do Wild at Heart. Um, you know, still, we're still, he's still making incredible films at this point. I mean, I think to me, the last movie that he made that I thought was really, really good was Lost Highway. And after that, I'm just sort of um, I, I just give up. But um, I, I mean, you're, that, you're, Lost Highway, Mulholland Drive doesn't make any impression on you at all. I think Mulholland Drive is just um, it, it seems like it, there is something there, but I think it's just it's it's too much. I don't think it's in the same league with his earlier stuff. I really don't. Um, oh, I disagree I think, completely. I mean, I just don't think it's that. I, I mean, I saw it. I, I mean, I, I like it for what it is. But I think when you go back to something like like Blue Velvet or Wild of Heart or even Lost Highway, that to me is like I think when he worked with Barry Gifford, they were definitely on to something. Um, and I like and I miss that. I really miss that collaboration between those two. Um, I mean, to me, Wild of Heart is just in. Here we are, uh, God, twenty-seven years later, and I actually like that probably the most out of all of his things. That may be my favorite. Um, David Lynch thing is wild at heart and it wasn't always not at first but it just has grown on me over time those characters and everything for me, whole for me uh, Eraserhead Blue Velvet Mulholland Drive those are the three that's the triumvirate for me I would, all the others the all the man. others all the others are 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 good works great great works no question about it I don't think he's ever done anything that I hated but uh, there was uh, uh, that's those are the ones. And for uh, me, you know, uh, for me, it's uh, Wild at Heart, Blue Velvet, and Firewalk with Me are my favorites. Mulholland Drive, I, I I I like a lot. I just it has it has always been surprising to me that that is among the international film critic consensus the highest ranked, most recent. Movie on their list, like yeah. it's always in the top top twenty or something all time greatest yeah. movies. The most recent among them. Yeah, um, I had no idea it resonated like that. Uh, it's just uh, it's just a work that uh, <clears throat> I think I think everything that you need to to decipher uh, Mulholland Drive is there in the movie. And whether people know it or not, whether they're able to consciously figure it out or not, I think they know it's there. <laughs> I think they, I think, I think there's something about that movie that uh, uh, 
the subtext to it uh, screams out to people, and uh, I, I think it hits people on a on a gut level. I mean, for me, yeah. you know, blue Vel- blue velvet is a more traditional sort of tale, uh, and then you know, Razorhead is more of a delve into the you know sort of a, a dream world. Uh, they're all sort of delves into dream worlds, of course, but um, and of course, certainly Mulholland Drive has that too. But uh, I, I just uh, I I I think that's the reason it, it resonates with people. Well, but we all agree. I mean, we have to. I mean, what else is there really? That this is three hours before the premiere. Uh, it is the most anticipated TV event of the year, right? I mean, we've been talking about that ever since they announced it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it is. It, you could not have, as we've said before, you could not have this Sunday night that we we've been doing now since 1999, since The Sopranos, basically. You could not have any of this without Twin Peaks. Mm, let's, no be, question. let's be very honest. There is no TV without Twin Peaks. That's the great sea change. The great. That's the great. Yes. Um, you could not have. You had a. You had a director, a visionary director, decide. Hey, I'm going to go to TV, and which was not, by the way, a bad place to be. Um, but I'm going to make see if we can make do something a little bit better. And mm-hmm. that's the great. That will always be, regardless of whether the you know the quality went downhill or whatever. But because he decided to do TV. It, you created a slow thing that um, happened in the nineties, in the X Files, Oz, the Sopranos, and so forth. Right. But that's why you have and, and the ones that and the ones that didn't last, like Wild yeah. Palms and that well, kind of stuff. And Wild Palms <laughs> is long before Twin Peaks. That was a Bruce Wagner comic in Details magazine that had been around for a long time. Yeah, I'm talking about as a TV a TV show. Yeah, no, but as a TV show, but. Yeah, it got it got. They they saw. I mean, obviously they saw from. Hey, maybe we can do what you know. Well, in with Twin Peaks, we can do something with this on TV, and they created that. And that was just like a mini series that went. Bleh. Um, but no, you're absolutely right. You couldn't. You could never have Wild Palms on TV without Twin Peaks. There's no way. Um, and that was Oliver Stone producing that. Yeah. I just, uh, anyway. you know, to back to your original question, what am I expecting? I'm expecting, uh, I'm expecting, you know, pure David Lynch. Yeah. Uh, I, un, uh, you know, story wise, I have no expectations. Uh, anything could happen. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, I, I have no expectations about the cast because I just, you know, other than everybody's going to look 25 years older. Uh. I, I just am expecting, uh, you know, unfettered David Lynch. Uh, I'm expecting to be surprised uh, at every turn because obviously we don't know anything about it. We haven't even seen, you know, more than 15 seconds from it, uh, which I think is an amazing move. Uh, I some love people that. are irritated. Yeah, so some are ir- some people are irritated by it. They. Uh, you know, I know that Jeffrey Wells thinks that uh, uh, it might be a sign that the the project is in trouble, and uh, <clears throat> I sent him a note saying, "Why would you think that? He just wants to keep." <laughs> he's he, I mean, well, can I say something about Jeffrey Wells? Can we never mention his name on this show? <laughs> I really don't like. I don't think he's worthy of you know dog shit to step in. So I mean, let's not mention. Him. I can he's understand nobody. that. Yeah. No, but he's no. I mean, he's nobody. I mean, come on, let's not give him any props. I mean, 
that guy's just a jealous little troll. Um, well, let's just say this. He does make his living doing it. He's a fan of the film critic film criticism. Um I mean but he, yeah, I, I mean, don't wanna give him I, any prop I don't want to give him any props on this show. I, I I'd rather be like Voldemort, not the thing that's not named. Um, I, I I can understand that. Uh I, you know, I mean pers- as a person he's he's not the greatest uh uh person in the world. But I do like what he says about movies. Uh, and uh, and yes, sometimes he's wrong, but uh, a lot of times he's not. <laughs> so uh, I mean, as a as a person, he's kind of reprehensible, though. But you know, uh, okay. Well, even, something even else. So, something else came on TV last night uh, in cable land. The uh, Barry Levinson uh, directed. Uh, Bernie Madoff movie, Wizard of Lies, with De Niro and Pfeiffer. Did uh, both of you guys get a chance to see yeah. that? Yeah, I watched it, yeah. I haven't watched it yet. But go ahead and um, You know, I, I, I've been reading reviews of it the week pre- previous, leading up to it, and it got a lot of bad notices, and it got one really good notice, I think, in the New York Times. But a lot of the reviews were um, – Negative because they say, oh, they didn't, they didn't crack Bernie Madoff. They didn't figure out who he was, and that's the whole point. Uh, at least in this treatment of the movie, is that Bernie Madoff is a sociopath, and in the in the pro, in the course of the movie, that's that idea is occurring to him as it's going on. You can right. see some moments where De Niro's kind of thinking to himself. Now, why don't I feel more? Like, what is wrong with me? Why did I do it? It's inexplicable even to me. Um, you don't explain away, like, that kind of, uh, you know, mental disorder that he has. Um, so I appreciated that, and I thought it was a really a strong effort on everyone's part. I thought it was very well shot. Uh, I like the way it was assembled with various news news clips and the real reporter conducting the interview with Madoff, the same one that conducted the real-life interview with him in prison. Uh, it was interesting to see a non-actor across from De Niro, and it, it gave it a special – it felt uh, uh, spontaneous in, in a lot of places because of that. I thought De Niro was very strong, and Michelle Pfeiffer's great in it. And the subplot with the kids – Especially the the suicide of one of the kids was really uh, awful. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't realize he had killed himself with his infant in the house. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, so I I thought it had an urgency to it um, that uh, you don't always get with Levinson movies. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I. I... I mean, I think he makes it abundantly clear when he's talking about the, the when they're when he, he's talking about why are they comparing me to Ted Bundy, um, which I thought was an interesting um, thing where he talks about that and you know what he you know yeah you're you're a monster, buddy. I mean, what you did. I mean, they, they don't. Ex- I mean, you've got to wonder. I mean, it is he is pretty crazy. I mean, to have basically made all this up. And you're you're trying to figure out exactly how he got away with it, um, which is I still find mind-boggling. 
but I, I didn't have a problem with it. Uh, what I couldn't get over was just how fresh everything still felt nine years later. Um, that's what I couldn't get over. It just seems like it just felt like yesterday that's happened. Um, that's what I couldn't get over about the movie is just how fresh everything still was in my head. Um, and there are sections in it that do uh, feature the the victims, uh, like real real recordings of of the some of the victims, including a Holocaust survivor. Uh, who, yeah, who Eli was there. I uh, forgot he did that. I forgot that he yeah. had taken him for a ride too. I mean, uh, I mean it's just uh, just terrible. But uh, and certainly people will complain that uh, you know all the victims of him, and you're focusing, you're trying to garner sympathy for his family. But again, that's the point. If it's a study of of Bernie Madoff being such a sociopath, uh, what could make that clearer than showing what he did to his own family? He mm-hmm. didn't even care about the position he was putting his own family in, and now both of his sons are dead. And their deaths were hastened by what he did to them. And the wife is trying to rebuild her life in uh, Connecticut or Palm Beach, wherever she is right now. Um, and she's she's reviled. Uh, oh yeah, I mean he kept he kept it from all of them uh, because that's because he thought he was protecting them by keeping it from from them. It's an interesting. It's an interesting character study, and I, I you know, I, cable. Cable has given these directors an opportunity to do movies that they obviously can't do in theatrical realm. Uh, interesting character studies. Um, it is a little disappointing sometimes to think that that this is limited to the biopic genre. That's just the lot that we're in. And meanwhile, well, uh, Barry Levinson, Barry Levinson's doing another biopic for HBO. Let's start shooting in July, and it's the Joe Paterno movie. There, it went from De Palma to Barry Levinson, and Al Pacino is still playing Paterno, and they start shooting that in July, which made me think, well, they're supposed to shoot Scorsese movie starting in August, so I guess maybe Pacino's coming into the Scorsese movie a little bit later and just going right from one to the other. Well... Let me say this, though. I think HBO is kind of the perfect avenue for this because I don't know if there's a lot of demand, you know, commercial demand even for a Madoff picture right now. Not right now. I just, I don't, you know, people have very short attention spans. And while, yes, we know who Bernie Madoff was, there's a larger part of the population. I'm willing to bet if you mentioned it, you said Bernie Madoff, they may not remember. Um... So I think HBO is a natural thing. Let's not forget, an A-list director did make a movie about a Bernie Madoff character, Blue Jasmine. Um, let's not forget that. That was um, a Woody Allen interpretation of what happened with the Alec Baldwin character playing like basically Bernie Madoff and Kate Blanchett playing yeah. um, his wife. Let's not forget, and a, very, and a very good, interesting interpretation of that. Um so it has been done. It's just, you know, we don't call it by the actual name. You know, and Woody Allen is one of the few people that don't need to go to cable to make those right. kinds of movies. Everybody else does. Uh, but Woody Allen right. has a deal where he, he can get by with it. Yeah, he's um, got the greatest deal in history of motion pictures. He really does. 
I mean, yeah. I mean, even Coppola will tell you that. He said, I'm envious of Woody Allen. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, speaking of Woody Allen, did you guys see the Woody Allen Facebook Live event last week? So I odd. No, I missed that. I missed that. What was? How was that? Well, it's funny because when it first started, he said, oh, I had no idea this was live. He said, I could have shown up late. I mean, I just happened to show up on time because my wife drove me, but I thought this was like a pre-tape thing. And of course, he really doesn't have any clue what Facebook is. He says, I know I have a, a page on there that people run for me, but he he was really um, – like he would spend 10 minutes on a single question, and it, it, it was an hour-long conversation between he and Robert Whitey who did the documentary on him. And uh, so he was very articulate, um, and it was it was was a great conversation, particularly if you're not orientated with Woody Allen and his thoughts on his own work. I was reading the comments, and in between a couple of people commenting on how he's a child molester, there was uh, a, a lot of people that uh, admired him greatly and were talking glowingly of him, but they were also saying, "Oh God, I'm shocked that he thinks this way about his own work." Because he was being honest, he said, "I think I've only done like three or four movies that matched, you know, my aspirations for them: uh, Purple Rose and and uh, Match Point and that that sort of thing." Right. And people were surprised by that. It's a nice, it's a nice conversation. It's just so odd to have him do a Facebook Live event. Right. Yeah. Right. I I can't I can't imagine it to be honest with you. It's it's surreal. But he did talk about his upcoming movie, which is Wonder Wheel. It's a 1950s Coney Island movie with Kate Winslet and Justin Timberlake and James Belushi. Um, And it's a drama. It's not a comedy, it's drama. I like it. It's Um, a drama. Yeah. And what's the deal with James Belushi? Like, James Belushi has to have one of the most interesting careers because here's a guy who started off, you know, I, I, I mean, he does the Oliver Stone, Salvador. He's he's worked with Oliver Stone, Roman Polanski, David Lynch, Woody Allen, and then he's a TV sitcom star too. <laughs> over the years, it's like the the, the most unique kind of career. And yeah, I, you know, it made his and got his big break because of who his brother he what you know was you know. Um, the first thing I saw him in was a, a production of the Pirates of Penzance in like 1982, I think. That was mm. the first thing I've ever mm. seen him in. Um, so. Yeah, odd career. Yeah, he, yeah, it's a it's a very odd career, but hey, I'm, I'm still I'm glad he still can get work. I mean, <laughs> you know. Okay, so what do we think oh. of? Uh, have we talked about Alien? Have we talked? No, of- no, because we we haven't we haven't you know it just came out so we hadn't had a chance to talk about it. Um, do we want to talk about it? Um, I mean, I ref- I'm refusing to see it. I mean, it's uh, it's I'm I'm just not going to watch it. It's well, uh, I mean, I I'm not going to fault you there, Dean. I'm not going to fault <laughs> that at all. No, no, no. Can I? Can I, I, I let me. I mean, it it seems there are two schools of thought on this move. So if you hated Prometheus, this is like God has given you the greatest movie in the world kind of um, reaction I'm getting. Because lots of people hated Prometheus. I had no idea. And I knew that it was not popular, but I, I did not realize Prometheus had this phantom menace-like hatred. Um, you, I, I mean, 
<laughs> I hate social media. Um, but <laughs> that's if you, you gather. Um, then you have a whole school of thought that think this is the worst movie that's the, the worst movie of the franchise. Um, but there, but there are people who love it. I'm sort of right down the middle. I think there's an interesting movie there, but it feels like a rough draft of a movie. I won't lie to you. I feel like I'm watching like an unfinished print of a movie. Mm. I mean, there's some. There's does, it, really, does it feel rushed? It feels incredibly rushed. That's actually my major problem with it. Is I think there's actually there's a great prologue there that is definitely like has some of the feeling of Prometheus, and then that's um, after that. That's all jettison. It's like I've never seen a studio take their take the criticisms of the previous film so hard and di- just ditch with the direction they were going in. Um, this movie definitely has that, like the, I want to say he's Ridley Scott has basically kind of recycled the, the original Alien in many ways um, and just like changed the order of events, if you will. That's um, what it looks like to me. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's and they've added added and adding more uh, bodies to be uh, there's a lot destroyed. more there's a lot more food. There's a lot more food in the movie. Uh, we'll uh-huh. just call them food uh, at this point. Um, there's some interest. I have to say the MVP though is Michael Fassbender. Um, that is that is the, I mean that is the performance. I want to say this though about the movie. It's one of the most sadistic films I've seen in a long time. It's a mean film. Mm. A very mean film. Um, and I know he wants to make two more after this, and, he, and he, he's really racing against the clock here because he has to make sure this fits into the... To when, by the time we get to the original film, he's... And I, don't, I don't... You know what? If he didn't make any after this, that would be fine, but I really do think that he's now... He's made three alien films now, and he obviously wants to take this Peter Jackson, George Lucas approach, and he wants to, and, and James Cameron, and he just wants to be associated with one franchise for the remainder of his life. It seems. Um, well, he is. He is planning. He is. He does have plans to do another non-alien movie, which is uh, 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 it's the tale of the um, kidnapping of uh, J. Paul Getty's uh, oh, grandson. Oh, yeah. That's you're, right. you're absolutely right. Good, good call there. Good call. So he's he's not he's not you know concentrating on alien. I mean he, this guy. Is, that movie, know, he's, he's got a the title for that movie is um, someone did not watch over me right. So. <laughs> <laughs> or what's uh, one he did with Russell Crowe that was the one where he's in in France the French countryside. A good well, year. A good year. Yeah, Where's God. the sequel to that? I mean. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I'm I'm glad to see that he's doing something else because I don't want him no, to concentrate to. on that. Listen, frankly, no one cares about. I, I know that. <clears throat> okay, when Alien and Aliens were around and they were the only two, I guess people were kind of interested back then. Oh, where'd the aliens come from? Blah blah blah. Let's hear their story. Uh, you know what? Nobody cares. <laughs> Nobody cares. We don't care problem. anymore. <laughs> I, I really thought, can I be very honest? So we went to go see when it came out, that first um, Alien vs. Predator movie, and my brother walked out and he's just like, wow, they effectively killed two franchises, one movie. Um, well, we were wrong about that. Uh, so, uh, but I, I, what I don't, you know, yeah, it's all fine, Danny. 
it's like we talked about this endlessly on a show with prequels and everything. It's all right that there's there are parts of the story we don't know. People can use their imaginations. That's not yes. a crime. That's <laughs> yes. not a you know, we don't have to see it all. We don't have to see where they came from. We don't have to see their home planet. We don't have to yeah. see any of that shit. Yeah, I mean, Nobody we, cares. We liked the first two movies. We liked the first two movies because they had a limited number of characters that were very, very relatable, both of them. And uh, 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 they had... Uh, relatively small, compact stories, uh, and they're not—they're uh, not trying to explain the origin of the universe. Uh, yeah, which just, is tricky stuff. And by the way, here's another reason I'm not going to watch it. <clears throat> well, the number one thing was I just looked at the cast and I was like, oh my god, no way, I'm not watching this. It's got Danny McBride in it. Forget it. And plus, they uh, they fucked up with uh, having Catherine Masterson in it, who looks like who <laughs> doesn't look like Catherine Masterson. Now, this is not you mean the Catherine Masterson. Catherine Waterson, you mean? Catherine, Catherine Waterson. Sorry, um, this is not the Catherine Waterson that uh, uh, that was in <laughs> Inherent Vice. This is like oh God, no, no. This is like not far, some not other the, person. <laughs> no, let, let, <laughs> so. let me. Let me say it's a mix, it's a mixed bag of a film. I would understand. I understand your um, your reservations. And I know it's a kind word to describe your feeling towards the movie, but we'll just use your reservations about seeing it. Um, but I, what I'm seeing from the people who liked it, though, was the people who liked it just like the fact that it was a hard R. It's gory. A lot of people get killed, and that's why they liked it. So that's why I, they liked it. That's why they liked it. I'm, you know, these. So what what am I to learn from this? God forbid you try to make a movie, an interesting movie like the Prometheus, where you try to actually want to maybe do, you know, regardless of whether, you know, it's a fool's errand or not to do it, but at least you try to make, you know, try to introduce some ideas or whatever. No, we can't do that. Um, we really can't do that with a mainstream movie. It's really, it's it's kind of very sad that we cannot do that. Um, well, I mean, I, they they could have done it, but they uh, but unfortunately, that Damon Lindenhoff w- was involved with it, uh, the guy from true. Lost, and yeah. uh, he's going to screw up anything he touches. Let's just face it; he's going to shit he's the gonna, bed. He's going to he's going to make shit the bed. That's he shits wherever he goes. He's he's going to mess everything up and try and overcomplicate things and make everything into some kind of fucking puzzle box uh, kind of movie and. Uh, you know, it's okay, but it's okay if you can do that. But if you can't do it, then don't do it. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> they weren't able to do it. But I mean, if they if they would have had the talent to do it, that would have been fine. But they just right. they they can't. So I, what they what they've resulted in is they said, let's just turn this into a Michael Myers movie. <laughs> you know, like a Halloween where he's. Yep. Where the aliens going around and just killing people, and that's all it is. And we'll put eighteen people on the ship instead of just seven, and so and they'll all be people that you hate, and so it'll be great when they get killed. And uh, that's all you're coming for anyway, isn't it? Yeah, and well, James and, Franco doesn't even have much of a part. I mean, I mean, I don't even know why he agreed to do the movie. I mean, it's, just, it's the most thankless. Well, I guess he had fifteen minutes. History. 
he had 15 minutes to to uh, to devote to it in between, you know, directing 20 movies a year. So, yeah, and, uh, I mean, and it shows. I mean, it, it shows. But uh, no, I, I agree. I, you know, that's why well, put Danny McBride in it. I, that I just don't understand. I, I, just, I, I just, you know, I at first thought comic relief, but there's he's not his. I mean, his character is pretty pretty straight. You know. I mean, none of them, are, it's an insult to call them character. They're really plot points, if you will, um, if that makes sense. Um, they're not character. I mean, I wouldn't say any of them are really, maybe Billy Crunup, maybe. But Michael Fossbinder is the only fleshed out character, and he's a goddamn android. Uh, yeah. You know, you know that, what does that tell you? Um, and, you know, there are people, like I said, there are people who obviously just like this movie for the gore and the violence. I, I think it's a mixed bag. I don't hate it. I don't love it. I'm just sort of in the middle about it, which is very rare because these kind of movies you either hate or love. And I'm just like, you know, it's what I expected, but I didn't expect I didn't expect to see what I would call a rough draft of a movie. And it does, it, to me, it felt very rushed, especially the second thing. half. Here's another thing I don't want to see. I don't want Uh-oh. to see a CGI alien. I want to see yeah. a guy in a suit. <laughs> I mean, we can still use a lot of special effects to make that guy look look great, but I want to see I want to see a real alien. I don't want to see a CGI fast moving alien. That. That's a great theme. That's a really great point. Now. Speaking of that, though, do we, I mean, do we not have? Do you find anything redeemable about the David Fincher or the uh, French, the French one, the fourth one at all, or those just don't register with you? I, I prefer to I prefer to drop them out of the whole thing entirely, okay. like Godfather Three. <laughs> oh yeah, there you go. Hey, Godfather I don't II even Alien Three. There I don't go. even think about those two movies. I haven't returned to those movies uh, after the first time I watched them. They have, I have no love for them whatsoever. And I'm not one of those people that's sitting behind uh, David Fincher going, oh, well, but Fincher directed that one, and that was the, that was the movie that gave him the power to get, into, get further into the film. Because I don't care about that. That was a cash grab. He had, there's no... I don't I I don't feel any love from him for that uh franchise in the movie. Uh I think that it was just a way for him to get into the get further into the business. I agree with that, but it is amazing though that how that film, the model of that film, the skeleton if you want to say the 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 the, the structure of that film is prevalent in his next several movies, Seven, The Game and Fight Club. The one female character and everyone else is, you know, and then the rest are men. I find that fascinating. Um, well, that's that, the way that, all movies are now. Well, no, <laughs> all movies films, are are first, mostly men with one woman. In yeah, them. but no, his but, but his films they follow. There's a very, you know, David Fincher's like first four or five films are very homoerotic. Um, and Alien Three, not with, and I know I, I know there's a whole school of thought that we oh we wish we could watch Vincent Ward's uh, Alien Three. Well, that ain't never gonna happen, guys. That's never going to happen. So, you know, so just cut it out. Um, yeah, I. You know what? It's a weird franchise. It's a very strange franchise. Um, they should have left it alone after Aliens. Can we get a sequel to The Counselor? 
every time I think of that title, I think of De Niro and Kate Cleaner. <laughs> <laughs> Counselor. Well, since you brought up Coppola uh, earlier, let's talk about Mrs. Coppola, shall we? Um, oh, yes. Eleanor, Eleanor Coppola has made a wonderful narrative film called Paris Can Wait. Um, I I think this is her first film since Hearts of Darkness. Am I right there? Yes. Okay. This is a damn shame because she's actually a really good director, and I wish she would have made more. Um, so Diane Lane, Alec Baldwin, and I do not know that I don't remember the name of the actor, the Frenchman, who plays her traveling companion, who is a business associate of her husband, Alec Baldwin, who's a movie producer, shock there, and Diane Lane as her uh, as his uh, wife. And she cannot travel with him to Budapest because she has these, like, something wrong with her ears, this ringing in her ears that so she can't go on the small plane. So she has to go by car to, um, with Alec Baldwin's um, partner uh, to Paris. So they decide to go take this long detour, lots of food, I mean, just lots of, like, stops, rest stops and everything. And it's a nice little, like, uh, variation on the trip movies with Steve Coogan. I was going to say. (laughs) No, it's it's definitely in that school of thought. And also the other film, there was was that film that came out with Julia Binoche several years ago uh, from the famous song, The Late Iranian Director. Oh, right, Um, Certified Copy. Certified Copy, I think. Mm Mm-hmm. It has shades of that as well. Um, it's a charming little movie. Um, I, I really and you watch it, and they're obviously they're parallels to um, Mrs. Coppola's life. I mean, there are obviously references to Sophia and, and that sort of thing. And it's, it's just a nice little movie. Um, mm. So basically, okay. we have Eleanor and Sophia have a movie, but sadly, Francis can't get a goddamn movie financed. Um, <laughs> don't you just find that depressing? <laughs> don't you all just find that just, uh, I don't think he wants to do it. I think he wants I don't to know. be. I don't the... know. He, he doesn't want to go back into that that hornet's nest. No way. I don't blame he him. He doesn't I mean, want to do it. It's it, it's what we. I mean, even the character, the Alec Baldwin character, through one of the voicemails or something, says, "You know what? I really think we need to start talking about a plan B. I can't do this film thing anymore." Mm. Um. So I thought that was an interesting little um touch there. But no, I mean, I, I don't blame him. It's, it's just, you can't get anything. You It's just so hard to get one film made. You go watch you go watch any movie these days that's not a big studio movie, and there are five different companies putting up money for the movie when you, before you even get to the, the credits. I mean, you have yeah. to sit through all these uh, Take... logos and everything. <laughs> True. <laughs> like, I sat, th- I sat <laughs> and watched a movie the other day, and it literally had... Uh, I counted them. They had six of those logo things. In yeah, front of what it. movie was it? Oh, geez, it was a it was a foreign film. It was uh, uh, uh I'll have to look at my list, but uh, uh, it was uh, it was definitely. I was I was like, oh my god, come on, this this is ridiculous, uh, you know. But um, well, that's good. That's good to know, though. That's good to good to hear that that's a you know it's it sounds like a it sounds like a perfect sort of Saturday afternoon kind of movie like it yeah, is just, it, it you, definitely you, is and and that's good now the one thing I want to ask is you, you compare it to the trip movies that Michael Winterbottom has come out with and I still and haven't seen one. by the way a, I, yeah I haven't seen out. I haven't seen Trip to Italy yet but oh, uh, obviously it's not going to be funny like. 
those movies are. I no, mean, no, no. It's not. No, 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 no. It's not. You know, those <laughs> movies are also they because of those two leads, they're razor sharp delivery and timing. You're just not going to get that. But it yeah. does remind you with the, the food aspects of the movie. You the can't loving, help the, but think of that. The loving shots of the food and the wine. Oh, God, all, yes, and, yes, 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 yeah. yes. Lots of loving shots of food. I mean. <clears throat> well, that's a, that sounds good. Yeah. Uh, well, I've seen I've, heard, uh, I've seen everything yeah. from uh, I've seen everything from Sheba Baby to uh, the Julian Assange documentary in the past week, and I guess Real it occurred true. I guess it occurred to me after I watched it that uh, I don't I don't care for uh, Laura, Laura uh, how do you pronounce Laura her name Laura Poitras Poitras yeah I guess yeah I don't okay, care but... for her. Uh, because I I didn't particularly care for Citizen Four either. I mean, either. Uh, there's something. This might sound odd. There's something very um, Michael Mannish about her work, in that uh, it's got the almost the ambient kind of strings in the background, the droning strings, and there's a lot of steel grays. And some of the transitions feel like they're Michael Mannish, so it, it it's not without some kind of cinematic style, but it, I, I just her her approach is just so uh, dull to me. Um, dull, dull. <laughs> I tried to dull. watch and Risk. I tried. I couldn't watch it. I was like, I just don't care. This this filmmaker cannot get me to care about this. This thing, the the the, the uh, it's just so dull to watch people in this room, you know, shuffling papers around and stuff. I I just I don't I don't care. <laughs> I really don't. And there's also I, something I, else. I think that I think that she's not someone with. Uh, I don't know what kind of point of view she has, because she she's not she's not really a journalist. Uh, she's just gifted with access for whatever reason. That's it. Um, and, and, and it's troubling to me that she played a version of this movie last year, I think it can. And it was glowing to Assange. And then Assange got involved in the election. And so the conclusion of this movie is anything but glowing. I mean, so so much so that Julian Assange, I think, has threatened legal action against her. Um, so she's she's really swayed from one extreme to the other in the course of a a few months. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so, mm-hmm. and 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 yet she was in his presence for, you know, pretty nonstop for for however long, years and years, that she worked right, in this right. documentary. So she's not a journalist, and she's not really a filmmaker. So what is she? She's just a, she's just like a rabble rouser, an opportunist. Uh huh. Yeah. So what is the thesis of this movie about Julian Assange, and what is what is her what is the point of it? Um, it's the same point as Snowden, just to kind of track the events and the and the uh, the point of what he's doing to hear his side of it. And in the midst of it, you see the um, the, the the Swedish um, is it Switzerland or something? The rape allegations against him, all of that stuff's going on. 
you know, Julia Assange is probably a more complicated person than what the f- the film shows him as. Uh, he well, seems pretty damn humor humorless in the movie, which he very well might be, I guess. He seems like a real dullard, really. But, but yeah, it, it, I mean, it would be interesting to me, especially since he she did Citizen Four. It'd be interesting to me to see what kind of uh, jealousy or hard feelings that he has against Snowden now. Because Snowden's really stolen his spotlight in some way, and I think that gets under Assange's collar. Well, uh, that would be interesting. Yeah. Well, remember mm-hmm. that movie a couple of years ago that they made with Benedict Cumberbatch? Um, yeah. About about Assange, and, and basically, you were to gather from the film, there's a scene where the Daniel Brühl character has his, you know is interacting with his family. And Assange is looking away and looks very jealous. And are we to believe that he he that this whole root of Assange thing, at least according to this movie, this movie, the narrative film, is that he missed out on this middle class existence? Like this was somehow what he was deprived of. And and it was such such a blatantly obvious thing in the movie. Um, and just want to know, I I think Assange is um he he to me is uh, just seems like after the election, especially a troublemaker, just a real chaos monger, if you will. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't, but before that, I know, look, when we did the Four Horsemen, I had one of my co-hosts defend Assange, saying that the rape allegations were false. I'll never forget this. And I was just like, you know, I don't know how you know that or why you would say that, but you're on your own. Um, This is, I guess, 2010 or 2011 when we did this. And that always, like, kind of threw me off because, I mean, the rape. I'm sorry. There's no. There's no. There's no excusing that kind of behavior. Um, there's just none. That's a. That's a violation. But you could also. You could also. I mean, you just. You just used the word opportunist, and you could also see where some some people might come forward to sue him as an opportunity. Because, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, it goes, no, you're right. It goes both ways, and and they drop the case, so we'll never know. Right. Um, not that we'd ever know if they even went through with the case, but. Um, right. He just seems like a Snowden seems more relatable uh, as a character. I'm talking about a character for a movie, and and, and uh, Assange seems almost like uh, a Bond villain without personality. Uh, <laughs> he, he, <laughs> he does. <laughs> he does. He's not not even the villain. He's like one of the henchmen. <laughs> one, of the henchmen you know. one of the henchmen that gets killed off early in the movie too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like in the middle. Right, exactly. Yeah. It, it, I, I, That's interesting. Yeah. Hey, I let's talk about some movie news. There's tons of movie news, guys. The past two weeks, this can is going on, and they're announcing stuff. Um, one of the things they announced is Michael Moore's coming back, teaming up with Harvey Weinstein for uh, Fahrenheit 11.9 about Election Day, the day that Trump became president, I guess. Right. Uh, and and Michael Moore made you know the bold statement like you know like Hopeless says this is Vietnam. Uh, Michael Moore's statement was uh, you know nothing stuck to Trump yet, but this will end his presidency. This movie. Unlike the thing about Bush. <laughs> <laughs> That's, first of all, it would have to it, it would have to like change the minds of sixty sixty million of his voters, so they're not going to even see it. So there you go. They're not. My other point is, my other point is, you have, I'm sure, thousands of journalists on this thing, on all the controversy surrounding Trump. 
what is Michael Moore going to find out that there that and plus you're making a movie and a new movie is being made every single day in the news. So, I mean, how 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 effective can it be? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm Look, saying? I, yeah, no. Once I, the movie comes out, it'll be instantly dated like a week later. Because, you know. Look, he's not learning from his past thing. Fahrenheit 9/11. Everyone thought, oh, this is the thing that's going to tip the election. Remember, remember that. Remember how everyone's yep. like, there's no way Bush can win now. Bush won <laughs> handedly. I mean, um, he's got. I'm really surprised he's doing this. He should know at this point. This is. It doesn't work. I'm not saying he shouldn't try, but as you said also, there's a, not even every day, every hour, there is a, let me tell you something, when I leave work at 5 o'clock and get home by 5.30, something new has happened. <laughs> something happens in that half hour. I'm not joking. Yep. Something, Comey gets fired. Um, <laughs> you know, there's a memo that's leaked. I mean, yeah, the narrative's changing every day. Yeah. And just like we've said, it's a new new movie every day. It seems to be beside the point to actually make a narrative movie and promote it for months, and then it finally gets released. And like Dean said, you're old news by then. You're old, uh, you're old but news I will, I, I, Yeah, I will say the difference between Laura Potrast, Treas, or whatever, and uh, Michael Moore. Portrait. Michael Moore. Okay, Portrait. And Michael Moore <laughs> is that Michael Moore is a filmmaker. Okay, I'll give you that. I'll give you he, that. Okay. He 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 definitely at least has a style, so that's for sure. And he understands uh, where to pull where to pull the emotional strings, uh, which a lot of documentarians take issue with. But that's why I look at Michael Moore as less of a documentarian and more as a filmmaker, because he employs, he's like an essayist. Yeah, he he employs narrative gimmicks for a documentary form. Uh, better than most. Yeah. Um, uh, Zach Efron is playing Ted Bundy for Joe Berlinger. I'm not going to rule that out. That um, could work. That could work if done right. Who was it that uh, played Bundy in that TV movie a long time ago? Mark Harmon. Uh, Mark Harmon? Yeah. He was good. He was good. Yeah, I wouldn't put it past Zach. If Zach Efron is given given the director and everything, that could work. I'm not saying it's a slam dunk, but there's a possibility there. Although, yeah, I mean, you need you need someone like All American Handsome. I don't know if you need chiseled eight pack supermodel yeah. magazine layout. But maybe he'll let himself handsome. go. I mean, maybe it's, <laughs> maybe he's eating pop tarts and um, you know, he's awesome. pop tarts and. And everything oh, right now to prepare the role. I have to say also the track record of documentary filmmakers, which Joe Berlinger is, uh, moving over to uh, uh, narrative films is not great. Yeah, that's a good point, Dean. That's actually an excellent point. Um, so, Jimmy Kimmel's coming back to the Oscars to host next year. That doesn't surprise me. And the first joke will be about the first joke will be about the screw up from last year. I think you're absolutely yeah. right. I mean, <laughs> the very first thing you don't you have know. to be the amazing Kreskin to figure that one out. I mean, you know. nope. <laughs> but he was he was a great uh, host, and and I expect he'll be a great host again. He was. 
he, I, I thought he was a great host too. The ratings yeah. weren't great. They went down. But I think even so, it's a business decision because um, it sweetens the pot for ABC to continue carrying yeah. it and continue paying for the rights for it. Because mm-hmm. it's a you know it's a four hour promotion for them. Yeah. Yes. Um, uh, Pirates of the of the Caribbean, Pirates of the Caribbean, however the hell you want to say it. <laughs> uh, this is interesting. Pirates have gotten a hold of that movie, the new movie coming up. <laughs> and they're, yeah, yeah. That's... They're demand they're demanding a ransom uh, for Disney, <laughs> or, or they'll or they'll release it to the public. So Disney's in a spot where they they will not. They're saying they will not negotiate. They will not pay because once they do that, uh, then this yeah. will be an ordinary practice, you know. Yeah. And uh, it, you saw what it did to Expendables three. I mean, I really think it hurt the box office of Expendables three because that that was available a month and a half, two months before it yeah. came out. Yeah, yep. you're right. Yeah. Well, um, you know, if that's the case, forget, I mean, Pirates, of, you know, each Pirates movie, if I'm not mistaken, usually a global box office is about a billion dollars. So um, they're looking, if that's the case, if that does happen, yeah, it can hurt. Um, it can hurt, but let's talk about further down the line. Disney also owns um, Marvel and Star Wars. We're looking at a, you know, a very problematic year if this, if this happened. Um, <laughs> I mean, there was already well, they'll a horrible... To, they'll, just, they'll, they'll, have to, they'll have to take efforts to combat it. I mean, I, I, I don't know who, they, who has access to the digital files, uh, which I, I would imagine the only reason why they're able to pirate this thing is because it's floating in the ether somewhere digitally. Well, uh, orange yeah. is the new black. When that was high, when that was um, that was taken from I think um, a sound whoever was doing the sound if I'm not mistaken. So someone in that studio in that company let that go, or wasn't careful for or whatever. So there's going to have to be tighter controls on everything that whoever's working on um, the Marvel movies and the Star Wars movies. I'm saying that's going to be there's a whole there has to be a whole new security. Um, apparatus put in place because this thing with pirates is while I'm not a huge Pirates of the Caribbean fan, there's obviously a lot of people are, but if that was made available, let's say tomorrow, you could watch that online. I know a lot of people be staying home watching that or work, watching that from work. Okay? Yeah. Um, so can't say I blame them. Um, um, the um, okay, the, so the, the Scorsese, De Niro, Pacino, Pesci Movie. <laughs> uh, God, that's such a, it's such an awesome cast. I mean, my God. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, and it's casting. It's now casting uh, the un, you know all the other parts. It's, they're in the process right now. Uh, it was tentative, tentatively called The Irishman for a long time. Now it's going back to the title of the original book it's based on, which is "I Heard You Paint Houses," which oh, is. Okay. Uh, which is a euphemism for blowing somebody's brain, you know, splattering somebody's brains on a wall, like a hit, you know. Um, so that I think that's a stronger title. I heard you paint houses. Uh, me too. I think yeah. it's a better, much better title. The Irishman, you know, I think that could mean a lot of things, but 
I think that's a much better title. Um, yeah, yeah, let's stick to that. I mean, definitely. That's good news. Uh, in other TV news, um, Ryan Murphy is doing the second season of uh, second and third season concurrently of uh, American Crime Story, the one that started with the OJ. Uh, and the second season is about Katrina, and uh, Dennis Quaid just signed on to play George Bush in that one. Okay. So he's like he's playing George. Remember he um, he kind of played like George Bush also in that. Remember that movie American Dreams. So this would kind of like be revisiting that character. Well, which him. which pres which president did he play in the special relationship? Was it Clinton or Bush? Clinton, yeah. Clinton. God, he's playing everybody, man. <laughs> so that'll be unusual. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and he played Jerry Lee Lewis. Like, what can this man not do? He's dude. He's he's. I think he's a very underrated actor, but that's just me. Um. I'll just say that right like, now. I've always, I've always liked him. I've never had no, I've always too. liked him, but I don't think he's ever gotten his, you know, his due. If that makes sense. Uh, Peter Bogdanovich is going. To... Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say the closest he came was was maybe with uh, Far from Heaven. You know. Uh, yeah, no, that's true. And that was that's a great. That, thank you. That's a great role. That's a great performance from him, as yeah. well. I mean, definitely good. Good call. Excellent call there. <laughs> uh, Peter Bogdanovich is directing a Buster Keaton documentary. That was announced at Cannes. Mm, okay. I don't know what to say about that. <laughs> yeah. Not much to say about that. And then, no. uh, of course, uh, this also bears mentioning. Oh, of course, uh, Powers Booth died. Yeah, dude, that's huge. Oh, I mean, that's big. I mean, you know, it was crazy. I was reading these obituaries, and uh, and almost all of them, even from the major outlets, <clears throat> you know, Variety, Hollywood Reporter, made absolutely no mention of his early work. The stuff that made him a star. The closest they came was they they did mention he won an Emmy for for playing Jim Jones in the Guyana movie. Uh, Thank you. I want to talk about this because his early stuff, like in the eighties and stuff, is like really and then before that is so good as well. Why we like him? Yeah, it's great that you know in um, Deadwood, and I love. Don't get me wrong, I love him in Deadwood, and and obviously they mentioned Agents of Shield. I had no idea he was on Agents of Shield because I've never watched Agents of Shield, so I have no idea. Um, so, um, but he was a great character actor. I mean, he was the very definition of superb character actor who actually had some great leading roles, like in the Emerald Forest or Southern Comfort. Um, I mean, really. Yeah, there were no mentions of those either one of those movies. What? So these Dean, are the two movies that, that helped make him into a star. Why? Yeah, because why people, that? because the people who are writing for them, I guess, are twenty years old. So they they think of him as. Uh, I mean, they mentioned him his his role in MacGruber. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what? We, I don't remember. Over him over those. Yeah. I remember. So, Paying money, I purchased a ticket for MacGruber. I don't remember Powers Booth. I'm sorry. I, just, I remember. I, I remember that I was in a theater watching MacGruber. I don't remember much about MacGruber though. I mean, 
but but it was it was those early roles, you know. He had a um, <clears throat> he kind of he had a sort of a different take on the kind of Clint Eastwoody type of uh, growling, uh, squinting type right. of uh, manly character, you know. Uh, that uh, uh, that I thought was a you know was an inter- it was an interesting take on it. Uh, right. He he had kind of a, a personable quality, uh, which was interesting. Like in <clears throat> in Southern Comfort, you know, he is he's it turns uh, both the friendliest character in the movie and also the one that you're most scared of. Right. <laughs> right. Somehow, like. He's he's the one that that uh, that also <clears throat> he has a uh, he just has a certain gravitas to his uh, uh, to his delivery in that well, movie. I think he single handedly elevates Red Dawn. I mean, yes. his entrance, his entrance in that movie. He's like he is the grown up in the movie for the most part. Let's be honest. He is the guy. I mean, and he really elevates that movie. But in the Emerald Forest, I mean, the first time he sees his son after the son has been, you know, missing, that's a heart-wrenching scene. Um, that's just, I mean, that's just, and that's just first-rate acting from him. And, I mean, not to mention those movies in the 80s is criminal. I mean, I, I find it criminal not to mention any of the movies we've just talked about. Um and uh, and you know, I mean, I like him in even things like uh, you know, uh, obviously, you know, he had a major, major thing going on with uh, Walter Hill. So right, yeah, Extreme but, Prejudice is another one that was good. That was I mean, one that I was going to mention. Uh, where I think he's very good in that, and uh, and even in a movie like Frailty, uh, which was also a movie that <laughs> that wasn't mentioned. Yeah, I mean, that's a or, good. We don't talk about that movie enough, but that's a very good directorial um, debut by right? Bill Paxton. I mean... Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, it's a... Uh, uh, but, I mean, you know, I loved him in Tombstone, of course, and... Yeah, uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, he's very famous for that, and you know, he ma- he made a good Al Haig and Nixon. And, yeah. And he, yeah. He, was, he was a great... Uh, a great Great character actor, but at yeah. the beginning, it looked like he was going to be a lead actor, and, uh, yes, it, and it it just uh, that just didn't really happen, unfortunately. But uh, I think I think because uh, I think after a while, people sort of hooked into his uh, uh, his sort of uh, menacing, more menacing mm-hmm. qualities. And if that happens in your career, then you then you're usually relegated to. Uh, to villainous roles, and those are like Michael Ironside, roles. like how Michael Ironside was. I yeah, mean. exactly. Uh, or yeah, or maybe somebody like uh, who's that guy that was in uh, Stephen Lang or somebody like that. Yeah, you know. <laughs> so, but uh, but he was he was good. It was a big loss. Uh, okay, so Can Can's been going on. Um, new movies premiering every day. The Kubrick documentary's gotten rave reviews. Um, just recently, the um, the new Noah Baumbach movie with Dustin Hoffman, Ben Stiller, and Adam Sandler, uh, the Meyerowitz stories is the name of it. 
It's very mm-hmm. awkward that's title. Good, that's gotten good notices, I think, though, hasn't it? Or yeah, I got a four-minute standing ovation, and then uh, a lot of the praise is being heaped on Adam Sandler. Like every ten years, it's it's like a Haley's Comet thing. Like he pops up in a worthwhile movie, and people are like, "Oh my god, he's really good." <laughs> <laughs> it does exist. But- it, 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 but now we just need people to go see it in the theater, though. Uh, you know? Well, unfortunately, it's, I don't think it's going to get a theatrical release, and that kind of dovetails into one of the bigger stories of the past couple of weeks, which is the uh, the can the can um, uh, management coming down on Netflix movies premiering at right. their festival. Uh, Netflix, they they. They put on a uh, a kind of a ban on them from now on. Uh, if they're not going to get a theatrical release, particularly in France, they're not they're not inv- going to be invited to the festival. So and so that's created some sort of controversy and discussion <coughs> about the future of movie watching. And uh, and with this particular movie. Uh, this, I mean, this movie is not going to get a theatrical release, so it's basically oh, okay. going to be a te- television movie. So, um, so they'll be looking for the and uh, and the same thing is going to happen with that. Uh, what's that movie that's coming out later on this year? Mud Mud People or yeah, Mud People, uh, yeah. Uh, that that's also not going to get a theatrical release. Jesus Christ. So, but that's what we're going to see with Netflix swooping in and buying movies is that they're they're not going to get well, unless they, this, unless it's Scorsese, I I don't think that they're going to be dumb enough not to release the Scorsese movie in the theaters. Well, this weekend we have a this week I, I guess um, on the 26th and I realize we have Baywatch and the Pirates of the Caribbean. I don't mean to take people away from that that excitement. Um, it's really sad. The Baywatch movie looks a billion times better than the Pirates of the Caribbean movie. Um, but, but that's only, I think, because of The Rock. Uh, let's be honest. And, and that's the only, the only reason that movie even has an inkling is because they know you have to play it stupid. Um, or no no one could take that seriously. Uh, it's, it seems like the kind of movie you go see stoned immediately. Um, but we have a big movie coming out on Netflix this Friday, War Machine with Brad Pitt. Yeah. Um, and this is a big deal. This is based on a Michael Hastings book um, called The Operators, all about Stanley McChrystal and the clusterfuck that's Afghanistan. And it's directed by the guy who did The Rover and Animal Kingdom. So this is a huge deal. And I just have this feeling this movie is just going to get lost. Um, well, it probably will. <laughs> yeah. It probably will. I mean, yeah, I mean, we. You know, you and I, Dean, have seen several movies on Netflix. Um, I guess The Discovery. Um, there's that one that was with um, God, but Eliza Wood that yeah. a couple months ago. You know, these are all movies that were, that were bought at Sundance or whatever and that would have come out in the made the rounds at the Art House Theater. They're relegated to, to Netflix. So you're like, you basically what yeah, happened I mean, is you're you, like, you, you say they're relegated to, but don't you think more people will be able to see it on will see it on Netflix than would see it if it came out of the theater? Well, I think it's possible. I agree. It, that's that's possible, but but there's so much stuff coming out on Netflix that things get lost. Yeah, this is the problem, Jamie. I have 
no problem with that. And it won't get lost. It'll thing. be it'll be so prominent on the front page for. It will be prominent on the front page. Weeks. But it's um things do get lost on there. Things. How do I say this? I mean, I just don't know. There's gonna have to be a new job or something within Netflix, or there'll be a way. Like, how do we the um. How do we keep the mojo going? Because the same day this comes out, I believe. Remember, also Netflix is also their TV shows are still their most powerful thing. So I think you have House of Cards season five, I think, comes out this weekend. Yeah. But you also still have Master of None, which is making arounds, and you have all the, the a lot of other shows. It's all here's the problem with Netflix: a lot of it is very good. So you have an abundance of riches to choose from. So it, it's not it's not we're not saying that this is a bad thing. I think. You're absolutely right, Jamie. There's the opportunity for a lot more people to see the Brad Pitt movie on Netflix than there is if it comes to you like a landmark or just goes to the top ten markets for a couple weeks. Um, it's just that how do you – I guess you need – this is where you actually need strong word of mouth um, for this to really work, I think. So, yeah. I do think if they released it theatrically – it would be another, I don't know, like a men who stare at goats kind of thing. Uh, then, it really, then it really would get lost. Mm. Yeah. Or like well, I think, I think it. I think a movie like that deserves at least a nominal theatrical release. You know, uh, I, I, if I were running the company, I would do it. <laughs> I mean, a Brad Pitt movie? Come on. Sorry, but I know he doesn't have that many, you know, actually, you know, Brad Pitt doesn't have that many hits behind him, so, uh, I mean, he does, he does good, his biggest hit, I don't know. World War Z, World War Z probably the most financially successful movie, remember that, of all the good movies he's been in, that's the movie that's his most popular, financially. Yeah. And 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 a lot of people hate that movie, so. Yeah, they're not happy about the sequel, I'll tell you. (laughs) <laughs> they hate that they hate that Fincher's doing the sequel. Um, it is weird. It's very <laughs> weird. It. Hey, listen, I want to uh, bring up, you know, uh, I want to bring up a few movies that <clears throat> that I've seen recently that uh, uh, that I love. I actually had a great uh, week of watching movies, a rare great week. Uh, and let me just say, two of them I think are real masterpieces, and then two of them I think are like, uh, and I'm just talking about recent movies now. Uh, I mean, I've watched a lot of old stuff too, but um, I finally got around to watching Get Out. Now that's and a great movie. That is a fantastic movie, uh, uh, and I'm glad that I went to go see it at the theater. Because it was fun watching it with a with a crowd, uh, but uh, and amazingly, it's still in theaters. I mean, this this has to be one of the biggest. I mean, it's obviously one of the biggest hits of the year, but also in terms of legs, like it's it's got amazing, amazing staying power in the movie theaters. It's just uh, it it has made uh, two hundred thirty million dollars off of a four and a half million dollar budget. That's awesome. So it, Isn't it, that amazing? The, the most profitable, yeah. I saw it too recently. And, and it, it's just so fantastic. I loved it. I loved every bit of it. Uh, uh, it had me, it had me uh, 
you know, sort of uneasy. It had me, uh, it kept me guessing. Um, I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> I thought it was extremely well filmed. Like, obviously, <laughs> obviously, uh, Jordan Peele knows his movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, it, was uh the fact that it's become such a uh, such a hit too makes me feel really good <laughs> because uh, finally at least the uh you know I've always said if it has the whiff of uh or at least in recent years I've said if it has the whiff whiff of quality people won't go see it well finally at least <laughs> at least things lined up for this one movie uh, uh but uh so well cast so well paced, um, and uh, I, it was just a fantastic movie. And I hope they don't, please don't make a sequel to it or anything. Just leave it like it is. It's fine, like just like it is. We don't need to see another one. This one is great. Uh, don't touch it. Great uh, lead performance. Uh, just, I just loved everything about it. Uh, it really kept kept. Uh, kept me enthralled throughout the entire thing, and it's a great um, double feature with uh, with Let Me In. I think Let Me In and then Get Out, <laughs> or you could do it the opposite way. <laughs> yeah, but uh, so I just wanted to say, you know, if for any reason you've been staying away from Get Out, maybe you think it's not your cup of tea or something like that i guarantee you you know even if you're like a little sensitive about race issues and stuff like that i think you'll still i think you'll still dig it uh i'd be very surprised what to, that's what i hearing. that's what i appreciated most about it was that i didn't know where it was going yeah um and that was refreshing yeah i mean it really it really keeps keeps you on the edge of your seat and then there's a you know, we can't. T- I don't want to talk about it too deeply because I don't want to give away too many of its too many of its little tricks that that it has up its sleeve. But uh, just that scene where uh, she's searching for the car keys in her purse. Right, right. That scene was extraordinary. Just this taking something that's been done in a thousand movies and making it feel new. Is a real achievement just just on that that level alone, but uh, I I just love the sly humor that's in it. I mean, I I you know <clears throat> I think it was easy to tell seeing it in the theater. You know that it was a comedy, uh, uh, but uh, I think watching it at home, I think people will be a little <laughs> a little bit maybe more confused by it. <laughs> Uh, so I I don't know, but uh, I I thought that it was just just wonderful. What a what a great movie, uh, and uh, I hope it's remembered around Oscar time. It's not a particularly Oscary movie, but uh, it should be remembered for at least the screenplay, uh, if nothing yeah, else. I think it has a shot. It has a shot. Yeah. Uh, the other movie that I really loved. Uh, is a movie from uh, Romania, uh, uh, and it's it's been playing I think for the past couple of weeks at Landmark. So by the time this show uh, drops, you know it might only be in the theaters for a couple of days. But uh, um, 
it's called Graduation. It's also, you know, its original title is Baccalaureate. Um, but uh, it's from uh, the director, Christian Manju, who, uh, you know, did movies like Four, four Months, Three Weeks, and Two Days, and uh, Beyond the Hills. And uh, uh, he's part of the... Um, Romanian kind of new wave. Anyway, this is a movie that is absolutely fantastic. Uh, it's about a um, <clears throat> a high a high school student in Romania who is uh, early in the movie is uh, the victim of a rape attack, and uh, she's about to take her college exams <clears throat> in order to qualify to get out of Romania and go to school in uh, Britain. And mm. it's something that her father wants because he doesn't really he doesn't really appreciate life in Romania, and he wants her to go someplace that's a little bit better. Uh, so he's he's hanging a lot of his hopes. Uh, the father is, is, and the mother, by the way, seems sort of drunken and drugged. She seems like uh, she seems uh, heavily depressed. Okay, so she's she's not helping at all. So it's all up to him. He's he's a doctor. Uh uh he's a, he's a surgeon. And uh as his uh daughter is recovering from this rape attack, he uh, he's also taking into account that this is going to affect her her uh scores on the uh, uh on the exams that's going to help her get out of the country. And so he tries to go behind the scenes and pull strings to make her grades better. Uh, she indeed does fall down in the exam. And so it's all about the kind of delicate uh, moral questions that he has to ask himself in order to do to pull all of these strings. Is he doing the right thing? Is he doing the wrong thing? Uh, and uh, it's a, it's a really great movie on that level. It's 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 heavy dialogue, but it is also riveting. Like just absolutely, you just again another movie that you just don't know where it's going to go. Uh, and uh, uh, in that way, it's extremely exciting. Great lead performance uh, from Adrian uh, Titiani. And uh, just very, um, just a, just a great movie. Just you have to watch it. So it's called Graduation. It's by Christian Munju, and it's from Romania. Got to watch it. Now another movie I watched recently uh, that I liked most of the way through, and I know that you've seen it, Jerry, is Wilson. Wilson is an odd film. It is <laughs> really, really. Uh, uh, you know, the thing about it is that. <clears throat> it's it's written by Daniel Close, who of course did uh, uh, Ghost World and uh, Art School Confidential, wrote the screenplay for them based on his own comics. You mm-hmm. know, and Wilson Wilson is also based on one of his graphic novels. And I really thought that it had the uh, you know I'm a fan of Daniel Close, uh, his work, his comic work, mm-hmm. right, uh, right. But uh, um, and I'm a fan of his movie work too. However, this this one I thought had that sort of Daniel Close flavor, you know that that 
<laughs> that Barton fake feeling. Uh, no, no, no. I, I get. I know. It, I think I know what the problem is. It might be the problem I had initially, and I just think you get beaten over the head, and you just. Is it? Did you think he's he's getting older? There's a sense of a strange sense of optimism that's in the movie. Yes. Yes, that's my problem with the movie is that that it sets up Wilson as this character that's that's uh, um, that 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 breaks a lot of rules and uh, in terms of you know what making a character likable. Right. Uh, he's a little irritating. He he's a little nutsy. And I liked him better as uh, he gets better as the movie goes along, right? And uh, gets a little bit. Uh, the movie gets a little bit more conventional. Uh, by the time it gets to the third act, it's lost a lot of the mojo that it had early on. Mm-hmm. But uh, but I still liked it. I liked his. Oh, I yeah. liked Woody Harrelson. Woody Harrelson's performance was very good. I liked. Uh, you know, I thought it was interesting seeing. Uh, Seeing Laura Dern in in a role that could have been, you know, her playing the same character that she played in Susan Ruth, only twenty twenty five years yeah, later yeah. or whatever. Yes, exactly. Uh, Good call. <laughs> I like Judy Greer, uh, who comes in the last third of the movie. Uh, I, I I never noticed how unbelievably attractive Judy Greer is, by the way. But she's she's very she's very. Uh, uh, she's she's very uh, you know uh, a comely young lady, uh, but um, uh, I just I I loved Harrison in it. I I wish the movie could have could have you know stayed away from uh, a lot of the overt sentimentality that takes right. over in the last third. But uh, but I liked it enough to uh, to recommend it. Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. There's enough going that I, I didn't let that derail it for me. Yeah, and then finally the other the other movie that I would recommend with with somewhat re- with reservations is um, is uh, Andre Vida's last movie is uh, you know the Polish film director who's been working for you know probably sixty years. And uh, passed away last year. Right. Uh, <clears throat> he has his final movie is in theaters right now, and it's called After Image. It's about uh, uh, the Polish uh, painter Władysław uh, Straminski. Uh, he's a, a, a painter of abstracts who <clears throat> basically gets choked out of existence by a uh, by a communist regime in the sixties that uh you know ultimately denies him even the uh ability to to paint anymore uh to even buy paints <laughs> anymore uh they just basically starve him out of existence because of his political views which mm-hmm. he refuses to uh he refuses to denounce and uh so uh you know they want him they want him to be painting um uh, portraits of Lenin and Stalin and stuff, and he refuses to do that kind of stuff, and he, he just wants to paint what he wants to paint, you know, which are which are uh, a sort of rule-breaking uh, 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 abstracts, and uh, so he suffers the price for it. And while this movie this movie is 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 quite good, I mean, you you wouldn't expect Andre Vija to to come up with anything bad. But uh, it's a little stagey. It's a little stiff. 
it has some of those problems that you know some biopics have, but uh, still overall, uh, you know, it, it was a it was a moving tale, and uh, and I would still recommend it. You know, it, it it's it's just got a little bit of stiffness to it. You know, it's it's no uh, it's no man of iron or anything like that. You know, so but. Uh, so those are the four movies. You know, it's rare to see four recent movies. You know that you would you have a lot of good things, but I you know it's rare for me at least to to see movies uh, in such a short amount of time. So many movies that I I really adored in in one way or another. So cool beans. Okay, we'll movie. come back next week. We'll talk about uh, Twin Peaks at the beginning, and then we'll uh, get on to Adam. And, uh, oh, yeah, that's right. Wow, report. it's that time of month already. Wow. Yeah, I can always feel it. I start to feel bloated uh, when the time <laughs> of month comes around. <laughs> and then uh, we'll start airing some anniversary series. Adam did an interview for us for Close Encounters of the Third Kind 40th Anniversary Show. Got a Fatal Attraction 30th anniversary with the with the screenwriter and one of the co-stars. Um, a couple other things down the pike, and then at the end of the month, I think the 30th or something, uh, the Projection Booth, which is a show we all like. Uh, they did a show on One Eye Jacks that I co-hosted with him. Oh, cool! And uh, it's a great movie to explore, and they always do a great job. Yeah, so, I okay. doubt they'll do Guy Ritchie's King Arthur, though. I doubt anyone will be doing a show devoted to Guy Ritchie's King Arthur. I just thought I'd throw that out there. <laughs> yeah, that ain't going to happen. Yeah, yeah, that ain't, that ain't happened in this lifetime. Maybe in the post-apocalypse, but not right now. Um, <laughs> yeah, if it's the last surviving movie that they find in the sand somewhere, future generation <laughs> civilizations. That would be sad. That would be, dude, I, I, I film should be banned.